Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Good morning and welcome. We're very happy that you've joined us today. We have a tremendous show on traumatic brain injury and some interesting aspects you may not have considered. We're going to be talking with Dr. John Hughes, who is an osteopathic physician. And I, in particular, enjoy talking to osteopaths because they take a more holistic approach to conditions and treatments and therapies. And the ideas that Dr. Hughes has are really amazing and seeing some results that haven't really been seen before. Some of this is anecdotal. Some of this is backed up by a ton of research. And we are so very happy to welcome you. Welcome, John. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Well, it's such a pleasure. And we had a previous discussion um, when we were first talking about this show. And we were saying that traumatic brain injury is often underdiagnosed by the VA. It, it is misunderstood by a lot of the patients who have conditions that don't make sense to them and they may not connect with a traumatic brain injury. And so I was wondering if we could start in the very beginning and talk about what happens to the brain in a brain injury. And in this case, probably more likely talking about ones that are due to explosions or um, impact kind of uh, conditions, because that's what most of our military are affected with, and and build a picture of, of what is actually happening to the brain, and then talk about some of these other aspects and how you can remedy some of these misconceptions. Great. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. Uh, it, it is a very underdiagnosed condition, and because of the, I think, the long-term ramifications, it's sometimes it's easier just to push patients with brain injuries sort of under the rug and tell them to get back to work or just rest. And, and that's that's really not the best thing for a, a lot of patients. Amen. A lot of patients are maybe they have, if they have a severe brain injury, maybe they get some speech therapy or they, you know, they have to have surgery or maybe it's physical therapy, but there's not a lot that mainstream medicine really gives to these patients other than symptomatic treatments, maybe for pain, for, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm just giving you an introduction or, or to spasticity and, and it's just drug therapy and it's really the goal is to manage symptoms. And I, and I think most doctors, neurologists that are treating these patients would admit to that mm-hmm. because there's not been a, you know, way to recover uh, fully from these types of injuries. So and a lot of a lot of the patients just look very normal. A lot of uh, they on the outside, you know, maybe they're able to get through the day, but you know, they're they're struggling when they're looking at the computer. They're not sleeping well. Their relationships with their their spouse or their you know significant others are, are challenged. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very it's a very unique condition because on the outside it doesn't look like there's anything wrong with a lot of these patients. But well, the. And let me just interject here that these invisible injuries have proven to be the most difficult for our veterans 
to obtain help for, for that very, very reason. And though we have years of people talking about invisible injuries are just as real as those that are visible, it, it still hides in the shadows a bit. So tell us what happens to the brain and the body when there is a traumatic brain injury. Yeah, a very simple way to explain it is it's kind of like if you get a blast injury or if you get a, a traumatic blow to the head or multiple you know, blows, as you see with, with patients that are, are football players or, or even, even I had some Navy SEALs that I worked on and they, they would get continual just mm-hmm. trauma to their brain just by hitting waves on the, on the ocean in the little boats that they ride in. Mm-hmm. I, what happens, in, and this is not my terminology, but you get a hypermetabolic state. That's a neurologist named Robert Cantu that's come up with that um, terminology. And, and in a sense, the best way to describe it is if, if somebody was to take uh, a big hammer and go through the, the lab uh, in a college or something and just broke everything and, and, and or there was an explosion in the lab that that's kind of what's happening. There's mm-hmm. so much biochemistry in the brain in the neurons and the blood vessels and the lymphatic systems that we, that we all know kind of help nourish the brain, detox the brain. When that gets in disarray, mm-hmm. ultimately you get this, this, this condition where there's a lot of inflammation. There's, there's the brain is trying to repair itself. So that's what I mean by hypermetabolic state. It's, it's mm-hmm. it's trying to increase me- metabolism, but doesn't really have the ability to 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 repair itself and to function. So um, most patients are, are hypoxic at a cellular level. So w- that means they're not able to get enough oxygen to make energy uh, on a very basic cellular level. And that's what happens is you just get inflammation, you get pain sometimes, and overall the the symptomatic array that we we get with you know, post-concussion uh, syndrome. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very challenging thing to, to treat because a lot of a lot of doctors will tell patients, "Oh, just go home and rest," and that's really not possible. Um, and I've I've told patients something very simple. I actually went to a, a talk uh, last week, and I said, "What what happens if?" And I told everybody there was like ninety people in the audience. I said, "What mm-hmm. what what are you guys going to do if I keep you in this room?" for 24 hours and I say nobody gets to sleep and they they all looked at me and they they, they <laughs> some angry looks <laughs> and I said well we're gonna have a dance party here we'll, we'll keep everybody up and you know it'll try to be make it fun mm-hmm. and they still were too happy about that and and I said well what's what are most people gonna do and even if they can't sleep what do, what do you do if you can't get to bed early as you want you start yawning and what's the what's the body trying to do? The brain is trying to give you more oxygen by right. increasing the amount of air you, you take in. And so a lot of patients, their brain is is wanting to sleep. It's wanting to recover, but it's not able to because every and I you and I talked about this before, but mm-hmm. every moment of the day we're using at least a fifth of the air we take to power our brains. And that's if we have a healthy brain. A brain injury patient might need two or three times more than that, maybe even more, to actually repair their brain and to function. So that's the challenge. You go home and rest, and nobody really rests their brain if they have a brain injury. Their their brain is still awake because it's it's trying to re- recover as well as, as to function. And so that is the biggest – I would say that's probably the biggest hurdle 
in understanding how patients can heal from brain injuries. Because if if you re- if you sprain your ankle, you can go home, you can put it on the couch, you can put some ice on it, rest it for a week. And most of the time, you'll start to get better in a week or two or maybe a couple months. But it gets better with rest. Brain injury patients, they don't get to rest. The brain is trying to recover and it needs more oxygen in order for it to rest. And that's that's really the ultimate story here. Is- I've got a question for you. The, yeah. the hypoxia is so interesting because it makes complete sense. And people tell me that when they have had a brain injury, that they find they're confused. They know when they're not getting enough oxygen. They're fuzzy thinking. Um, their behavior may change. And this goes for not only brain injury patients, but this also happens to burn pit survivors because I think we just don't quite know what's happening to the brain with that deficient oxygen and that toxic oxygen that's getting in. And so the hypoxia is important. What you normally will hear from people, though, is I'm dizzy, um, there's balance issues, or headaches. So if you have all these symptoms, what we're also seeing is that with our hyper-specialized medical care, as you said, it's symptom relief. So we'll send you to rehab to teach you to walk again. We'll we'll get you something pain for the headaches. We'll help you focus with some visual rehab. Um, it it it's all symptomatically related. How do we change? And this is a huge question. But how do we change the treatment modality to honestly take a look at the brain, address it holistically? Because you said they can't rest. And so your brain doesn't actually ever really rest, um, except when you're sleeping and you're really out. And that's usually a very brief period of time. Yeah, and I and I think I think it's very interesting and I don't know I mean no none of us knows what's happening at a cellular level in 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 vivo while the brain is alive unless we I mean we do know a few things with rat brains and other things that we've done experiments with. I don't think there's anybody that's actually got a live human with their brain, you know, uh, no. <laughs> looking at it at a cellular level. So the, we don't know. Nobody knows exactly. We do know there's inflammation. We know there's, you know, pain and, and the, the the inflammatory markers that go along with that. We know there, there's a, a hypermetabolic state. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's ions in the in the brain. There's potassium, magnesium, calcium. Those those. Uh, ions keep getting. Sorry, I'm getting the Skype notification here. Um, the the Ten ions. Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the ions keep. Um, they keep sort of. They're not. They're not in in array. So we know some of those electro biochemistry factors, mm-hmm. but we don't know, you know, what really is happening. And I think the challenge is uh, most doctors they they but they just give up and they're like okay since we don't know what's happening we're just going to treat the symptoms and i and i don't say that i don't there's nothing wrong with that i want to alleviate patients pain give them mm-hmm. help sleep whatever drugs whatever muscle relaxers patients need to take but what happens i think is the brain is trying every once in a while it gets an organization and it tries to it tries to basically get organized and then it um and then it and then it kind of falls off i mean this is my theory it's it's kind of like if you're if you're climbing a mountain every once and, and maybe you're at like Mount Everest or something 
you'll get some lucid moments where you're re- you're pretty mm-hmm. clear, and then then you start pushing it a little bit, and your brain's like, "Whoa, I can't handle that," and mm-hmm. and 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 you, and you can only handle so much stress. And you, we know that for patients, and I'm just throwing in the climber mentality. Is we know that when when climbers get over a certain altitude, they their bodies they just start breaking down. They are. And I need to stop you because we're going on a quick break. And I'm going to talk further about what happens when you have a traumatic brain injury, how we can treat it, how we can look at it more holistically. And we'll return after these short messages. We're speaking with Dr. John Hughes. We'll be right back. Thank you. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Listen, something is brewing. The beautiful business evolution is coming. The way we do business is about to change for the better, forever. This is real business at its very best. On Beautiful Business Radio, you will learn what it means to truly prosper, how to nourish yourself and your business, how to earn what you deserve and make a difference in the world. The tide is rising. The change is here. Discover a new way to live, love, and partner with yourself and your business on Philippa Rollins presents Beautiful Business Radio, where you matter and your business thrives every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. many calories in 45 minutes of yard work as in 30 minutes of aerobics. Yard work is a total body workout consisting of pushing, pulling, lifting, and carrying. Using a push mower alone can burn 300 to 500 calories in an hour. Raking and bagging with a pooking fork, that's a fork often used in gardening, burns about 330 calories per hour. Cleaning and digging with the dibble, that little hand spade, can burn approximately 400 calories an hour. Stay fit by horb-gorbling. That's just puttering around the yard. To me, a perfect summer day is when the sun is shining, the birds are singing, and the lawnmower is broken. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We are talking with Dr. John Hughes, an osteopathic physician specializing in traumatic brain injury and some really interesting therapies. But before we go into that, he and I were talking on the break about how it's so rare to hear as part of therapy recovery to reduce your screen time. Your eyes are working almost all the time. They're processing information. They're giving you situational awareness. It is raising your anxiety up or down depending on what you see. And I, I just wondered, do you tell your patients to reduce the screen time and stop playing Call of Duty? Um, any of those sorts of things to increase the amount of time that they can, quote, rest? 
Absolutely. And okay. if patients could be in a dark room and rest their eyes, and maybe they had some some nice music playing. Uh, some people, some patients can't even handle that. But mm-hmm. the less stimuli from from either sound or light, and or you know overstimulating from from blue screens. And most of our screens are LED; they emit blue light. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can be damaging because it's not full spectrum light for one thing, and and two, just that just that constant input um, from a computer screen is it's not like looking outside at, at a sunny you know, tree lit yard or something, you know, mm-hmm. it, there, or, or you know, tree covered yard. There's a, there's a sense in which the, the it's, it's, it's causing problems just with the, you know, the, the contrast and the, the, the way computers work is they're, they're constantly stimulating us. Uh, same thing with TVs or, you know, video games or anything that's, that's kind of, interacting especially tv because they're flashing so many images so much input mm-hmm. the retina i think consumes more energy actually than than most other you know organs in the body i mean of the eyes so they're they the eyes need so much and not only the energy aspect and i know we talked what we talked about just recently is just to refresh anybody that hasn't been here a hypermetabolic state is basically the body's trying to get enough energy to repair so and and with brain injury patients, because there's hypoxic issues, there's neuroinflammation, there's other kinds of uh, challenges preventing that that brain to repair. There's not enough energy to these neurons, so particularly that of the eyes. But also, there because there's so much blue light coming from p- computer screens, we we tell patients to significantly reduce their their time in front of screens, especially if they're trying to sleep at night, mm-hmm. and, and unless they actually have to do it for work. Um, I, I tell them all to, to, to avoid as much screen time. And, and a lot of patients, they naturally will do that. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they are like, Hey, I'm on the computer for 10 or 15 minutes and I just get headaches or mm-hmm. I get eye strain or, or, you know, just overall just irritability. And we do recommend blue blocking glasses. Um, they work. And some people do really well. They're basically yeah. just yellow lenses for a lot of patients. You can talk to a vision therapist that does a lot of these work, and they can tell you what what is the best color for each mm-hmm. patient. But but I I've seen blue blocking glasses do really well. I wear them myself. You can also take the screen and change it to like a yellow filter mm-hmm. uh, on most computers, most you know post two thousand sixteen computers. Um, they're they're very oriented to helping patients. So. Worst case scenario, you can change the, the screen, you can put blue blocking glasses, but still limiting that amount of time in the TV. And I even tell patients, don't try to read books. If you want to look at something, look right. at a magazine, look at something that's easy to, to take in, uh, but make it like a paper thing. Or, you know, it's not some kind of light coming into input into the brain. Well, I'm glad we mentioned this because this is not something that has come up on many of our traumatic brain injury shows, and it it seems so very basic, and yet oftentimes it's the most obvious therapy that we neglect to consider. And so uh, thank you for bringing that on. So the primary condition, conditions suffered by TBI patients, there are standards of protocol that are followed by VA and other medical centers and non-VA physicians as well. And as you mentioned, they tend to be on the symptomatic relief side. Are there mainstream protocols that are truly trying to get at brain repair or increasing the ability of the brain's plasticity to create new neural connections to fix what maybe was damaged organically? 
I mean, I've not seen a lot written on ways to regain um, other that are anecdotal. But this is one reason I brought you on, and I'd like you to talk about this specifically, is hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Because that one is not used at the VA, except for diabetes care and wound care sometimes, and yet each VA facility has an HBOT machine, and yet it, it, it supposedly doesn't have evidence-based proof that it works, and yet every single vet that I know of that has undergone um, hyperbaric therapy has improved, and the scans show it. Yeah, and 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 the real reason why hyperbaric medicine has not been u- utilized, even though we know that hyperbaric oxygen in- increases stem cells in, in the in the brain uh, every two hours, can double or uh, or to, depending on the atmospheric pressure or triple the amount of floating stem cells to help help patients repair that have brain injuries or other types of head injuries. We know that hyperbaric medicine reduces the inflammation around um, brain injury patients. We know that increases cerebral blood flow. We've seen cognitive and quality of life improvements with patients who get, you know, a certain amount of treatments with hyperbaric oxygen. So mm-hmm. there's there's some solid studies. The the medical um, the VA community, you know, in the medical area, they've they've done their own studies. The the challenge with giving the brain oxygen to, to some degree with hyperbaric medicines, it has to be done in the proper dosing. And when mm-hmm. the studies that I've looked at, um, they, they actually gave these TBI patients too high of a dose and they didn't, they did about the same as the patients or, or maybe even a little worse than the patients who actually had a lower dose. So dosing hyperbaric medicine is really key because you get too much oxidative stress, and these these patients can't handle it. And the analogy I like to use is, is if you're injured, let's just say you had a broken leg or, or something like that, and you were a track runner or a football player, and they're like, after you get you know a couple months of you know rest time, then the coach is like, hey, get back on the track and go run some sprints. You wouldn't be quite. <laughs> so, That's a good analogy, but that is seemingly what happens. So so yeah, that, I mean not. And, and they, these patients don't even have the resources to, to do that if they haven't hyperbaric. And if they do get hyperbarics and they get too high of a dose, it's kind of like taking them to that level. So what we've seen with using hyperbaric medicine is it's an, it's an endurance race. It's not, it's not, it's like, Hey, let's go back to the track. Let's give you a, a, a slow lap around the track. And that's what sort of lower pressure hyperbaric medicine can do for TBI patients. When, when, when the studies have been published for most of these patients, they've been at, at a level of 1.5 atmospheres. That's about eight and a half PSI. And the patients that get treated at that level over time will tend to get significantly better. Um, but it may take three to nine months to a year before they see the full benefits of that, that treatment. You can also, patients can also get their own home hyperbaric chambers uh, and, and, and sit in their own house for a fraction of the cost, a fraction of the, the expense. And, and I'm, there's not been a study on this yet, but what I've seen anecdotally and with my patients, these are the patients that continue to improve over time, mm-hmm. over, over years. They, they're using about half of what you get in a medical facility, but even just that amount of, of hyperbaric oxygen pressure with an oxygen concentrator gives these patients five times or more 
uh, the amount of oxygen that they're breathing in their regular air. And what's great about hyperbaric oxygen is, yeah, you could you could you could use oxygen. Every patient, even if they didn't have hyperbaric oxygen or access, they could get an oxygen tank from their doctor, and they could breathe that 24 hours a day, and they'd get some benefit. the The challenge with that is that's not practical for most people. Most mm-hmm. people don't like to sleep with it or walk around with an oxygen mask. <laughs> right. The, the the great thing about hyperbaric oxygen is it in an hour and a half patients can get the same kind of benefits of breathing oxygen all day because it pressurizes oxygen not only into the blood so it sets kind of super saturates the blood and, and the lymphatics and the other tissues of the body and they can go straight to the brain so these patients are getting concentrated oxygen for 24 to 48 hours after they do an hour and a half of treatment so so question what does a personal hyperbaric machine cost and is it covered by insurance? To my knowledge, we haven't had any patients. I mean, I think there may be some auto insurance companies that are that are using these, but to my knowledge, we haven't had patients who've gotten uh, insurance covered for these types of machines. Okay. But they're not they're not unaffordable. You know, our company actually, and I'll disclaim it, we do sell some of these chambers. They're made by a company called Summit to See. There's lots of distributors around the, the country. I think for military patients, they can pick these up for about six thousand to sixty-five hundred dollars. They can finance these things for a year uh, or three years, and and you know pay a few hundred dollars a month. So it's I not- will um, make sure that I put that link on there because when these folks are getting the forty minimum treatments, usually um, which is recommended by most of those treating the vets, it's upwards of twenty thousand dollars, and you have to relocate in many. Um, Sometimes, times. yeah, and, and like I oversee a hyperbaric clinic, one of the three freestanding clinics in Colorado, mm-hmm. and that's that's called the Colorado Center for Hyperbaric Medicine. Just to put that plug out, and we we charge. I think they charge. I don't own the clinic. I have no financial interest. I think they charge about six thousand dollars for that treatment. So it's not, but but the, what I've seen is patients get benefits for a couple months if they do medical grade, and and a lot of them will continue to to to, to maintain those benefits. But honestly, the patients I've seen that do the best, as long as they are sort of a mild to moderate case, they have their own chambers and they 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 get in those chambers every day and for a year or more, and it, they they love it. They're like, this is my favorite time. I feel so much more energized. I have one lady, and maybe I told this. She she worked for a, a really high end computer company uh, as, as a, an executive, and she she just had her companies tell let her get in the computer at lunchtime or get in, to take a break from her <laughs> get in the hyperbaric chamber at lunchtime. And, and she had energy. So, I mean, that's really what these patients are getting from the, from the chamber. And you and I talked before, why is hyperbaric so important for giving patients energy? My, my girlfriend's stepdad has a, has a fancy Corvette, has a supercharger. I ask, why does this Corvette work so well? He's like, well, it blows oxygen into the into the engine, and I think mm-hmm. that's the best way. Oxygen is the most important nutrient for any TBI patient, any patient with a brain injury, anybody with a brain, and that's that's basically the only thing that's going to help these patients really rest enough to be able to recover. So there we go, right into our next break. We'll return after these messages. We're continuing our discussion on traumatic brain injury and hyperbaric oxygen treatment. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. We 
often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on Toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com. years ago, some fishermen off the coast of Italy discovered some pottery along with fish in their nets. Divers were called out and discovered an ancient Roman ship whose galley, or caboose, a nautical term for kitchen, was extremely intact. Some of the food uncovered on board was pickled fish, wine, oil, and grain used to make the ship's biscuits, otherwise known as dandy funks. It is thought the 2,000-year-old boat was probably on its way to Spain when it sunk and was covered by layers of mud, baggy wrinkles and all. Baggy wrinkles are another name for the ship's ropes. The mud protected the ship from wear, explaining why the leftover food on board was still in such good condition. We land lovers may not be familiar with leftovers on the sea, but we are familiar with leftovers in our kitchen. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. John and I were talking on the break about the fact that we want to make sure this is clear. You do need a prescription to get a home-based hyperbaric chamber, and the FDA allows use. And what I asked John on the break was, you know, it, are there guidelines to follow? Can you harm yourself this way? Or is it only the home machines really allow you to get the benefits and you stay in touch with your physician who prescribed for any guidance? Would that be correct? That's absolutely correct. Yeah, uh, the, the FDA allows the home use of hyperbaric oxygen chambers. They are rated to a depth of, of 4 PSI, uh, pounds per square inch, and that's mm-hmm. really... 1.3 atmospheres doesn't sound like a lot, but we do know that you know, when used with oxygen concentrators, so we're, we're taking uh, oxygen from the ambient air. It's not it's not a big oxygen tank. It's just a concentrator and concentrating it to a, a 95% saturation or so mm-hmm. while the patients are inside these chambers. So normally the, the air we breathe is about 18 to 21% oxygen, depending on what altitude we live at. And patients can concentrate that oxygen while they're in the chamber, and that gives them even even greater benefits of the oxygen to their brain. So FDA lets these patients use these chambers with you know specific guidance, uh, medical supervision by by a physician, um, mm-hmm. that, uh, just as a script. And, the, and it's really the physician's job to explain how to use the chamber safely. 
they they're it's it's a bag chamber you you think of a gamo bag that a mountain climber would use and and it's a zip up bag that allows um patients to to quickly reduce the edema and that's what they use for Mm -hmm. these uh, mountain climbers or or you know pulmonary edema or or cerebral edema and and it also they zip up themselves in the bag and then they they tighten down a uh, basically a relief valve and that those patients can can do this on their own, most of them, if they're you know functional enough to to do that, or they can have a family member that will help them get in in and out of these chambers. Uh, there's a compressor and a concentrator, and that's really all it takes to to run these. There is a danger. It's 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 not a really significant danger because the the chambers don't go to that depth. Uh, it's about 12 to 15 feet under uh, underwater, for example, if you were to compare it. So if you were to immediately swim. Uh, from you know underwater 15 feet and you came to the surface yeah you might feel your ears pop a little bit so it, that's the danger patients have to be taught how to come up slowly mm-hmm. uh, over you know five to ten minutes with with using these types of chambers so it's not a difficult thing most patients will they'll it'll take them about five to ten minutes to get down to, to pressure they'll they'll lay there or they actually make chambers that sit up mm-hmm. for an hour hour and a half um and then they'll come back up and they can do this once or twice a day even. So, and most patients I recommend do a solid five to six days a week for at least three months. And then they can go down to three or four days, um, over the next nine months. But my, my recommendation is if patients can do these chambers for about a year, they're going to get significant benefits. Um, and it won't be right away. It, it, this is, like I said, it's a marathon, a marathon, not a sprint, right? They'll get so, better. So, Let's let's take someone ninety days down the road, then six months, then nine months, etc. What are some of the changes that have been seen? Recognizing that everybody's brain injuries are unique, so this doesn't match everyone. But what are some of the things that they would start to sense or look for? Well, just giving you some idea, and we've talked. I don't. We haven't gone into the full symptomatic challenges of TBI patients, mm-hmm. but. Just as a as a kind of a uh, introduction to this, a lot of brain injury patients they're suffering from vision issues, they're suffering from sleep issues, they're suffering from uh, inability to make decisions, inability to focus and concentrate, inability to, to memorize just daily facts. And I do a lot of these battery of tests that that mm-hmm. kind of help me understand how severe patients are. There's neuropsychological testing. You can do spec scans or special analyzed MRIs or CT to really see what what the damage is on, a, on an organic level. Mm-hmm. But the the struggles they have are are very real to them, even though they may they may be able to put on a good show to to other people around them. So given that, I've had and most of what I've seen, I haven't seen. A lot of military patients. I've seen a lot of car accident patients. I've seen a lot of um, blunt trauma type patients. Um, but what what I've seen with these patients is um, they don't sleep so well. And and the patients when they get in the chamber, I had one guy that literally couldn't sleep for two months after he had his brain injury. He was a very severe motor vehicle accident. And this guy, uh, after getting in the home hyperbaric chamber, he had just had a home chamber. I guess somebody told him about it, and he just tried it out. He actually had really bad uh, tunnel vision, and mm-hmm. after a few months, he, his vision started to expand, and he, he was able to sleep again. I mean, this this patient lived in a in a dark warehouse all the time, which was probably helped him out significantly in many ways. 
threw away all his mail. <laughs> Literally just, <laughs> just went off the grid. Out. Yeah, went off the grid. And and after uh, like a year of doing his own chamber, he was able to finally make the decision to come out and do a medical grade chamber. And then we did some other things that I'm I'm specializing in with the intranasal uh, insulin and intranasal stem cells and plasma. So he had he had just the the ability to make that decision uh, that I don't think he would have had if he if he hadn't had his home chamber. He he had more expansive vision. I mean, just those little incremental changes were huge to him. And anybody with a brain injury, they're like, wow, you know, if I can just feel a little bit better, you know, if I can just have like twenty five percent of my brain back it'll make a huge difference. And every one of my patients, if they get a little bit of improvement, they're, they're just super thankful. And every everybody's different on how well they improve, um, what what they improve. I had one lady, I said, hey, just take the chamber I have. Just, it, it's not far from your house. And she's like, well, I don't know if I can drive there. And because, I mean, there's a lot of fear, there's anxiety, sure. and especially about driving or, or other just very simple tasks. Mm-hmm. And she got somebody to drive her there to pick up this chamber that that I had just as a lender home chamber. She did it for a couple of months and finally she's like, wow, I can actually, I can actually make, and she kept calling my office. She's like, well, do I want to come to see you? I was like, well, whenever you're ready. And <laughs> after finally a couple of months of being in the home chamber, she was actually able to make the decision to, to come and see me. <laughs> Whereas before there, there, there was just this sort of, nebulous kind of and and i think that's interesting we talk about the families and friends of tbi patients right these patients these patients aren't and i've been friends with some of my patients i'm like hey you know they're not going to always follow through (laughs) their follow through is really bad they might tell you they're going to do something but but don't take it personally if they don't show up Mm -hmm. or if they don't like call you back because Mm -hmm. that's that's part of the brain injury um and they they're just not motivated in many ways and I think they just forget things. I mean, and, and it's interesting. A lot of what I do is with intranasal insulin, which has been used with Alzheimer's patients. And we've, we've researched this over, over the years. And in, insulin, when it's given intranasally into the upper third of the brain, we know it improves, improves what's called declarative memory. Declarative is memory is the working memory that we have on an everyday basis. If we think about the brain like a computer, it's kind of that RAM memory that's mm-hmm. kind of and stored into most computers. If you have a Mac or a PC laptop, for example, you access stuff really quickly. Whereas in the 80s and 90s, when you had a computer, you had to like click on a button, you heard something spinning. That was stored in the hard drive. And, and now we've, we've perfected computers so that that RAM is really good. It's really all we're doing with brain injury patients as well. We're, we're helping improve this working memory um, that they, they've been kind of impeded from with with the injury. Well, it's like a roadblock. So talk a little bit about this intranasal therapy, because that is not as well known as hyperbaric treatment. And and there's hardly anybody, to my knowledge, doing intranasal therapies. There have been a few studies using intranasal insulin with with military patients, actually. Um, And I got most of my research from a guy named William uh, Fry, F-R-E-Y, uh, he he's got about 40 different patents on using intranasal um, therapies and learning how those therapies work. He's published probably 10 papers or more on this. And what the guy is, has, has understood is that if you put insulin in the top part of the brain with your head laying off a table or a, a bed, for example, and you get 
appropriate dose when when we've done these studies they they've been up to about 20 units on each nostril and those that insulin is diluted down with saline so it doesn't burn the patient um we've we've been able to get it into the brain within 10 minutes and, and when i say into the brain the, the insulin travels up through the what's called the cribriform fossa and it's that little bridge in the nose um, where all, the olfactory nerves, olfactory is how we smell something. So when mm-hmm. we smell something, it goes straight to our brain. It mixes with little chemicals in the olfactory nerves and goes along. Well, the insulin can do the same thing. It will travel through this cruciform fossa into the top part of, of the, you know, what's called the cerebral spinal fluid. And then that will perfuse throughout the brain and the spinal cord. So, and we've detected when we do insulin through the nose, 10 minutes later, we can pull it off and it's in the, in, in the back, in the spinal fluid. So we know that insulin giving exogenously from the outside can be Mm -hmm. detected in the brain rapidly. And are the results of that the same? A clearing of cognitive uh, abilities, um, maybe just uh, behavioral differences. What are some of the benefits of the intranasal therapies? So as we talked about with brain injury and, and other types of injury, whether it could be a neurodegenerative type and an injury with like Alzheimer's or other conditions similar stroke can cause injury like this. What we what we've talked about is there's there's a loss of energy going into those neurons. And in a very simple, simplistic way, what does insulin do in, in any cell in the body? It drives nutrients, including glucose, into the into the cell. So if you got glucose outside the you know cell, it's not doing anything. It takes the it takes us getting glucose inside the cell to the mitochondria of the cell so that the brain mm-hmm. can make energy. So you can take all the nutrients in the world, but if you don't have those nutrients inside the cells, it's not going to work. So that's what insulin does. We got oxygen on the outside also giving us energy and perfusing into the cell from, from using hyperbaric oxygen. That's going to help us significantly. And then when we give insulin, it actually drives the, the sort of organic glucose that, that every cell needs into that cell. So that's – and ultimately what we see from the studies, we have less um, – with insulin, we have we have less inflammation. We have reduced cortisol, um, lower uh, inf- inflammation. You actually see reduced numbers of inflammatory microglia, um, so less gliosis. Um, ultimately, the brain is significantly able to function a lot better. I see clinically, I see patients less headaches, better able to sleep, um, less overall just um, fatigue and more mental clarity. I mean, that's the very simple Good thing. stuff. I'm sorry. We're going on our final break of the show. We'll be back to continue our discussion. Fascinating stuff. Stay with us. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. wonder who invented the snow shovel most of us who live up north have spent a lot of time using this tool no one really knows who started using it for snow but according to live science the first known shovels were discarded ox scapulas or shoulder blades which folks used to move soil and rocks 5,000 years ago most historians recognize arthur sicard as the inventor of the first practical snow blower in 1925 Of course, you can get pretty knackered shoveling the snow off your driveway. What's the word for the fear of hard work? Ponophobia. 
1923, two brothers from Norway constructed the first automobile-mounted snowplow. What's the word for the fear of snow? Ionophobia. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff. And find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. Um, On the break, we were talking about the fact that there are some really interesting therapies being used. They're not widespread. They're not well-known. The intranasal therapy is one that is very um, new and not widely practiced. And so, so John, those who are offering these, are they at major medical centers? Are they um, just out-of-the-box thinker physicians? Uh, you know, it, it's just curious because I know listeners are going to say, well, okay, but my doctor says that I, he's done everything I, he can do or she's told me I've plateaued and there's nothing left to do. How do you respond to that? That is the biggest hurdle for patients getting over brain injury because whether it's a support group and I think there's a lot of amazing support groups or whether it's their, their friends or their doctor, they're like, Hey, you know, this is all, this is all you can do. You're going to just have to live with this. You're going to have to cope with your brain injury because that's, there's no way it is. You know, it's, and it's unfortunate because I mean, gosh, if somebody told me that I, I would be, and I had a brain injury, I'd be very, uh, uh, pretty sad because there's and, and this is another thing to back up there's there's an identity crisis yeah if i if i sprain my wrist or my ankle i might feel sad because maybe i don't get to run for a month but it's not like i don't i don't know who i am for a month mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the rest of my life i mean there or you know i don't i don't remember my relationship with my kids or and and, and you speak you spoke about your your family member had dementia i mean it's the same kind of thing with these patients, with the brain injury patients. They they start to lose track of their lives in in a very in their relationships and their connections in a very real way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's neuro there are treatments in the mainstream. I mean, there and we spoke about neuroplasticity. Some patients do get better with physical therapy, and if they have a mild brain injury, it can they can get better to some degree over ten years sometimes or more. And, mm-hmm. But most patients will hit a plateau and that's, and that's just hands down. Um, they're dealing with these symptoms, whether it's irritability or inability to make decisions or memory loss or inability to make math decisions or find the directions to their house or their work 
or just even work for very long. I mean, the biggest symptom I think is is fatigue, mental and mental and physical fatigue. Which if we all have that, we're all going to be irritable or angry sometimes. It's just we're you know it's and it's the same issue. It's that lack of energy to those neurons that need to function appropriately and the rest of the brain tissue that's helping that. So as family members, you're often seeing a lack of verbal filters. You're seeing, um, I'll call it a a pretense that everything's just fine and then uh, the stove will be on. Someone will forget to turn it off. A fire will start. Um, Things that do rob uh, vets in particular of their independence and those things are very difficult to understand and to take. Is it ever too late to try hyperbaric oxygen therapy? Or if you can find someone who does the intranasal therapy, is it ever too late? The, I, the brain is the most, when I've been told, and I think there are research is out there, the brain is the most resilient organ that we have. And mm-hmm. so I don't believe there's anybody... At, at any hopeless state for a brain injury. Uh, I've seen patients that have been 20, 30 years and, and still get improvements. And everybody may be different um, on how much they get improvements, but mm-hmm. it, and I'm not going to say that what I do with intranasal insulin and, and the other therapies that we do, what it does, we, we've, we've, we've seen improvements with everyone. And I, I think that's, I think that's the biggest message I can give is there's there's nothing that says you're destined to live with a brain injury if that's truly what the cause of the condition is for the rest of your life. And you know, like we said, uh, like the people that are that are understanding this are people mm-hmm. at the top of their game. They're like, hey, you know, we've done all the mainstream, you know, drugs and therapies, but you know, there's still something else we can give these patients. So the major research institutions, um, the people that are at the top of these. There's good studies out on what's the next best step step mm-hmm. for these patients. Mm-hmm. And then there's some outside-the-box thinkers kind of like myself that basically are looking at the physiology. And it's like 2 plus 2, brain's injured, can't rest, give it a little oxygen, give it some energy, and ultimately it might get better. And then the other thing that, that I do, you ask about intranasal therapies. My novelty was basically I, uh, instead of diluting intranasal insulin down with, with saline, which is commonly done in some of the studies – I was like, hey, let's mix it with some of the patient's own plasma. Plasma is just the, the, the water between your red blood cells, and it has a bunch of growth factors and cell signaling molecules. Mm-hmm. I did that with some of my patients, and they had such an improvement that we were able to basically get you know, even better results than just using insulin. So we haven't published all that yet, but we're, we're getting to that. And ultimately, it's the questions are a lot of doctors will say, well, you know, there's no published research on this. And I'm like, well, there's a lot of research on this. And, you know, for example, if you get on my website, TBI therapy, we've got hundreds of research articles on how stem cells or how plasma or PRP has helped people with strokes or brain injury. We know that if you cut the brains open of rats and you drip platelet growth factors on those on the hippocampus of the brain, Mm-hmm. You'll get neurogenesis, which basically is just new neurons. New nerves, right. New neural pathways. That's the plasticity that you were talking about. I want to make sure that our listeners understand what plasticity is. So, yeah, plasticity is basically the, the ability for the brain to to have neurons that, that they get created as they start to uh, to fire together. So, and that's, that's you know, you follow these paths 
um, down the down the neuronal paths and you get better um, uh, how do I say it change and the, the brain can change with the right kind of input so well you know it is very important to also add in that intangible but very powerful element to recovery which is hope and I hope everyone else who's listening is picking up on the fact that there are things going on constantly that are working to improve the lives of those with traumatic brain injury and that uh, some searching and some knowledge about these new uh, therapies is really important. Can you give out your website again, please, so they know where to find out more information? Absolutely. It's literally just TBI therapy, uh, T-H-E-R-A, um, P-Y, mm-hmm. tbitherapy.com and patients can, can Google that and they should be able to find my site there. And it, it's, it, yeah, we just basically took lots of the research out there, lots of the therapies and said, Hey, how do we combine this to give the patients the best result for the you know quickest amount of time? And we've had amazing success I mean, with, with what we've been able to combine in a, in a synergistic mm-hmm. way for these types of patients as a treatment. Well, I think family and friends feel helpless. You know, they it, it's often the spouses or very close family who say, you're, you're not the person you were before, and we don't have to live this way. There have to be answers. And we really work hard to try to make sure that we put out the word on therapies that work, therapies that may not be mainstream or main protocol or even VA protocol, but that are available because you you can live a higher quality of life. And you just mentioned it's never too late to stop, to not gain treatment. Insurance will cover some things, not cover others. VA has some of these, not others. Um, it can be expensive, but in some ways, you know, how do you put a dollar amount on a quality of life if you can remedy a brain injury by your home machines that you talked about? That paid over time makes it's, sense. And, and, and it's and it's it's one of those things like I, it, patients will go out. I don't know. I mean, you've probably gone out and financed a car or you bought a car. If you had to get to a job, you have to you get a car or whatever to drive there. Mm-hmm. This is no different. Like. If you need to get somewhere in your life or get down the path of your life and your brain's not functioning, mm-hmm. do whatever it takes. Borrow the money. I have patients that do GoFundMes. I mean, we, we can finance pay. I mean, it's just like getting a car to help you get to the next stage of your life. And 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 I think that's I think that's a really interesting phenomenon that patients are like, oh well, insurance isn't covering this. I'm like, well, take responsibility for it yourself. I mean, you're not gonna nobody's gonna care for your health. Um, more Except than you. you. Yeah. And well, there's also, does this ever qualify under, there's new companies now. I think one is called Care Credit, which allows you to do payment over time, just like a car, just like yeah. what you just described. We, we have a company we work with just like that. And, and it's interesting for third party payers, they, I think Arizona and Oklahoma are actually starting to pay for, or at least on paper, they, they pass laws to, that they will cover hyperbaric oxygen for PTSD patients and TBI patients. I don't know if it's, it's how, what the scope of these patients they have, what criteria they have to meet, but mm-hmm. they, the governments are jumping in and saying, Hey, let's do this. Even though, 
you know, most mainstream insurers aren't, aren't ready. I have had car insurance companies pay for hyperbaric medicine, for example, as well as other therapies, including acupuncture, chiropractors, mm-hmm. or massage, or osteopathic. I mean, that's another great thing. I'm an mm-hmm. osteopathic doctor. Patients that do cranial osteopathy, um, right. they, get, they get benefits. And yeah, you can buy insulin over the counter really inexpensively, or you can also buy, um, you can get, um, and you can get um, uh, your doctor to write a script, and oftentimes you can get your insurance coverage of insulin. It was long as it, so it, there's a lot of ways and to take one simple step for for many TBI patients that help them just a little bit. And yeah, everybody can't do stem cells necessarily or plasma treatments, but doing a little bit of insulin into the brain or doing a little bit of cranial therapy that will often be covered. Yeah, that's available to almost anybody because those are mainstream. Those are mainstream, you know, therapies. And and I think what you're bringing up is so very important because I think there's a hopelessness that comes when you're dealing with big bureaucracies like VA or big medical institutions. Civilian ones as well are very much bureaucracies. But if you can do your research and find your information, it gives you ways to seek out those who are like-minded in terms of being able to support new things that may work for you and we are no longer stuck and I always tell people Google is free (laughs) use it and um, really track things down John thank you so much for sharing these new cutting-edge treatments along with the stabilization from a traumatic brain injury because the, the old therapies work to a certain degree but you're taking it a step further is there anything else you'd like to add we have about 30 seconds left I mean, what I what I can tell you from my patients, they're no longer TBI survivors. They're TBI thrivers. One of my patients was like, TBI is not something that defines me anymore. You know, I'm not necessarily wow. TBI. It's something that happened to me. And I think that's that's a really key point. Most patients, they get more mental energy. They get more a little bit better memory. They have reduction in headaches. They sleep better. Some of them get better testosterone. TBI thrivers. We're going to have to stop there. Thank you so much, John. You're quite welcome. Have a great day. You you. do. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance 